For our first message this morning, we have a split sermon from Mr. Curtis Whiteley entitled, Father of Compassion. Mr. Whiteley. Thank you, Reggie. Well, good afternoon. It's wonderful to see everyone here once again on a rather cold and windy Sabbath day. Well, the title of my message today, as you can see up here on the screen, is The Father of Compassion. And uh, there have been a few things that have happened in these past few weeks that uh, has helped me come to this title, to this message I'm getting ready to give here today. And uh, last week we heard Mr. Matthew Still give us a message discussing uh, the events that just took place two weeks ago in Newtown, Connecticut. And as all of us in here, I'm sure we can all agree and be of one mind that we were shocked, we were nauseated, we were angry, we were grieved, and just absolutely heartbroken at the, the horror of these events. And, and the message I am delivering today has helped me, I guess you would say, uh, think about these events and uh, is something that in this tragedy, I've been reminded of a great truth that we have from our Father in Heaven. Now, as a disclaimer, I, I just want to be clear. I'm not necessarily going to talk about this tragedy that took place a few weeks ago. Uh, but rather, I want to talk about something that has prompted me in light of what happened. We're not going to talk about the shooter. We're not going to talk about guns or gun control or politics. Rather, this message is about me and you. And oddly enough, even though I'm referring to what happened in Newtown, Connecticut, it may sound strange, but this message is about the compassion and love that our Heavenly Father has on me and you. As many of you know that my occupation is in a public school building. I am a high school teacher. And I will admit that this situation that took place deeply affected me. Deeply affected me. In the days following, I found myself almost hourly thinking about this story. Thinking about the evil that took place thousands of miles away from where I live. But you may be surprised that even though I am a high school teacher and I work in a school, as do many of us or a couple of us here, this event didn't affect me because of me working in a school. This event had nothing to do whatsoever with me being a teacher, but rather it had something completely to do with something else, and that is the fact that I have in the past Ten and a half months become a parent myself. The minute I heard of this event, all I could think about, as probably many of us also who have children, young or grandchildren, was that I thought about my son Asher, who is ten and a half months old, who is at the time safe at home, away from any public building or, or school building. 
As I watched the news coverage, as many of us did, and as I saw the photographs of one of the, and all the children that were released, like many of us, all I could do was think about my son, my child, and the absolute breathtaking pain that each and every one of these children's parents must have been feeling and are still feeling this day. Becoming a parent for me has given me a new understanding on God's love. Now I'm not saying that you have to be a parent to understand God's love, but for me, I think many of us would agree, there's a deeper element of understanding that comes with experiencing the love that we have for our children and has definitely deepened my understanding. Now, as I mentioned, the title of my message today is The Father or a Father of Compassion. My purpose is very simple. It's very basic. It's at the very basic core of our belief system. And that is the review of God's compassion on all of us in light of our trespasses that we have accumulated against Him. So let's, for our first passage today, let's turn to Matthew, the 18th chapter. We're going to look at verse 21, starting out. Verse 21. Matthew, the 18th chapter. Verse 21. Verse 21 says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Verse 22, Jesus responds, saying, I do not say to you up to seven times, but rather up to 70 times seven. Now, if we were just to look at some points, we need to kind of understand something. And the context of this passage is following right after Jesus giving us instructions about how we are to receive a brother back into the church or back into the congregation, a brother that has offended another brother about having two to three witnesses, about bringing reconciliation between brethren and the method in which we go about doing that. And this probably naturally prompted Peter to think about the issue of forgiveness, about offense, about people being offended, about people sinning against a brother. And there's a little bit of a cultural or social situation going on here that might kind of help us understand a little bit about what was going on in Peter's mind when he asked Jesus this question, and that is that the rabbis of Jesus' time, of the first century, of this cultural, social context, taught that when it came to forgiving a brother or somebody who has sinned against you, that you should not forgive them more than three times. And they based this off of the prophet Amos, if you look in there, where God only forgave Israel's enemies three times. And Peter probably hearing Jesus talk about how you are not to be like the religious leaders, you are not to be like the status quo, probably thought he was going above and beyond and being very generous with the number seven, literally being four more times than what the scribes or what the Pharisees or what the Sadducees or what the rabbis taught. But Jesus' answer was not, yes, you're right, Peter, but rather was no. Not seven times, Peter, but rather 70 times seven. This was not necessarily Jesus saying there is a number 
in which you are to forgive a brother. Rather, Jesus is saying that in an innumerable amount of times, literally an unlimited amount of times, you are to forgive a brother. One of the primary points that can be made from this is that Jesus was telling his followers that we aren't to put a number on how much we forgive. We're not to put a number as if forgiveness has been relegated down to some sort of science. That amount of times someone trespasses against us, the limit is up. He's not saying that forgiving in this way of life and what I am teaching you is like a three strikes you're out rule. But rather, you are not to focus on the amount of times you are to forgive a brother. And he does this by continuing on in a parable. Because Jesus wanted his followers, as he wants me and you, to understand that we live in a physical world and offenses take place. But when we truly understand the offenses that we have accumulated against God, it's all put in right perspective. Let's continue on in Matthew 18, verse 23. Jesus, to drive home what he was saying, said this parable. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children, and that he had... And all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Literally doing the same exact thing that this person had just done to his master. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant? Just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry. And delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Verse 35 is very key. Because Jesus ends this by saying, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And we can see the principle that Jesus is drawing here. The servant that initially came to this master had accumulated this, this debt that was so large there was quite literally no way to ever repay. And the master demanded of this servant everything he had because he couldn't pay the debt he had, including himself, 
his family, children, wife, which would still not even begin to compensate for the amazing debt the servant owed. And at the pleading of the servant, the servant fell down and begged for mercy from this master. And this master was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion and forgave the debt that the servant had owed. Unfortunately, as we read on in the story, this same servant who had just experienced the compassion from his master for owing him something that he could never pay did not replicate that to one of his own servants. But as we read, one of his own servants came to him and had the same situation take place except in a reverse role. And this servant came to him and did the same thing, pleading and falling down on his face and asking for mercy. But the one who had experienced compassion from his master would not bestow mercy upon the person who was trying to get mercy from him. And it's interesting because when you go back and you read the background of the amount owed from the first servant to the master, the amount owed that was forgiven is so much more compared to the amount owed to the second servant. And it's obvious what Jesus is pointing to because so is the story of every one of us. We are all like that servant, at least in part, hopefully not in full. And what I mean by that is we were all like that servant being in such debt that there was no way we could ever pay our way out of it. There is no way we could have ever. We had run up such a tab that it was impossible to pay. Let's go to Ephesians, the second chapter. Ephesians, the second chapter. Let's look. And just of a description of what we all were before God. Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 1. Pick it up. It says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once con conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were de dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. There's a little side note here in parentheses. It says, by grace you have been saved. Verse 6 continues on. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And these passages are a reminder of who all of us once were. At one time, all of us were in captivity to this, this world, its ways, its attitudes, its perceptions. And the passage tells us that we were literally children of wrath. Children of wrath. That is what we all were before the reconciliation process could take place through Jesus Christ. God's wrath hung on every one of us when we all once walked according to our own ways. And the debt we owed was so beyond our ability to repay. And therefore our fate was death, both spiritually and physically. But because God had compassion on us, through His Son came the mercy to those of us who have repented and accepted the switch of lordship. Because that's what we did when we were acceptant and repentant towards God. Because we have broken His righteous, holy, and sanctified ways. Both spiritually and physically. We have exchanged the lordship that we had towards this world in exchange for the lordship that we now have to the Almighty. And in this passage, it's mentioned that God, in this, has shown His exceeding riches of grace towards us in Christ Jesus. And the interesting thing is, is that this world looks upon this as utterly nonsense. And there's a reason for that. And John tells us what that reason is. Let's go to John, the first chapter. John, the first chapter. We've all read this passage many times before. But there's a theme in John's gospel about light and about darkness. And about the power that light has over darkness. We can see this in our physical world. An entire room right here can be completely dark. And one small candle can penetrate that darkness. John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Verse 4 says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the key passage I want to focus on is verse 5, where it says, And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now I want to focus on this last thing that's mentioned here. That, that tells us that this word entered the world. This logos, this Greek word logos. And that in this word was the light and life of men. Literally the light of God entering our realm. And this light came and shined into the darkness, and that darkness did not comprehend it. And we have to ask the question, what does that word comprehend mean? Because it's an interesting word. Because it can have dual meaning. And if you were to look at the New English Translation Bible textual notes, doing a word study on this Greek word that's translated here in the New King James Bible as comprehend, it is a difficult word to translate because of the wide range of meanings that it can have. The word can be both to mean to seize 
or to grasp. To seize or to grasp. And it can actually be both. Quite literally, this passage can mean that both darkness did not overcome the light in the sense of seizing it, overpowering the light, evil triumphing over good. Nor does this darkness that exists in the world understand, grasp, comprehend this light. And this is a common theme, as I've mentioned in John's Gospel. A few other scriptures. You don't have to turn there. You can write them down if you want. John 3.19 tells us when Jesus says, And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. John 8, 9, a little later in John's Gospel says, Then Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And just before Jesus was arrested and dragged to the trial in which he, he experienced. In John the 16th chapter, just before he was arrested to be taken to his execution. He was with his disciples. And he was praying with them. And he was telling them things. Such things as that he was going to have to be taken away. Things about the Holy Spirit coming. And one of the last things he said, John 16, verse 29. And one of his disciples, after hearing some things he had to say... I said to him, see now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Verse 31 says, then Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, and now come. It has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And we saw that take place as Jesus was arrested and his disciples who were with him did flee out of the fear for their own lives. It says, indeed, the hour is coming, yes, and has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And we read these passages every year in our Passover service as we reflect on the triumph that has taken place between the light of God and the dark forces of this world and the darkness of evil. And we have come full spectrum. We can hearken back to that time that me and you had accumulated that, that debt. And we could not repay. And we did it in the darkness. We did it while we were being carried away about this dark world we live in while our lordship was to this dark world that we lived in but in our debt 
our Heavenly Father had compassion on us just as the Master had compassion on the servant. And even though we accumulated the debt by means of the blood of Christ in all of our hands, God's Son, God's child, He still had compassion on me and you and was moved to forgive us the great debt that we had against God. In this, we can see the light of God. We can see our innumerable debt and just what it took for God to pardon us from that debt. In this, I think there's a complete understanding of what or an aspect of the light of God is. It's very powerful. Because the world would not deal with such evilness that way. The world would not deal with things that brings offense to the world in such a compassionate way that our Heavenly Father chose to deal with me and you. This is that light that the world refuses to understand. And also that the world, the darkness that we live in, cannot overcome. Let's go to Romans' 12th chapter in conclusion. Romans, the 12th chapter. And I think that Romans, the 12th chapter, we, we, we've read the scriptures in the very first two, two, two verses where it tells us to be renewed, to not be you know, conformed to this world, but rather be transformed into the ways of God. In verse 9, picking it up, just kind of gives us some good principles to live by. In light of the darkness that we've been translated out of, even though we participated in the darkness that we were in, in light of what our Master, what our Heavenly Father has forgiven us to, in verse 9 it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly, affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. And do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repray no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. In verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Evil with good. The compassion that God has shown to us is something that this world can't understand. That we would repay evil with good. It's crazy. In the dark world that we live in, God's light shines and overcomes all darkness. 
And part of the manifestation of that light of God overcoming darkness is by looking at the fruits of His sons and daughters. How we respond in this world to evil, to offenses, things that people put upon us is a manifestation and is an example of God's light always triumphing over evil, over darkness. In light of what God has done for us, we should remember our conduct, attitudes, and love that we have to, towards each other, towards both, especially our brothers and sisters in the faith, in Christ, but also to those on the outside, to this world, to the people of this world. Let us all never forget the Father of compassion and the exceeding riches of mercy He bestowed upon all of us through His Son, His child, Jesus Christ.